Welcome to Retirement Revealed. I'm your host, Jeremy Kyle, and we're here to turn your retirement savings into retirement income. Today, we're talking with Bill Keen about how to engineer the second half of your life. I have known Bill for a few years now. What's amazing about Bill is that when I go to a financial advisor conference, it's inevitable that someone brings up that financial advisors don't like working with engineers. I think it's because engineers love looking under the hood, crunching numbers, and unfortunately, there are plenty of sales-focused financial advisors that don't like when somebody questions and looks under the hood and actually crunches the numbers. But meanwhile, Bill loves working with engineers. And I'll tell you now that if Bill is trusted by dozens or even hundreds now of engineers to do their retirement planning, you can be assured he's done a lot of research, a lot of math to show you how to engineer the second half of your life. This is Retirement Revealed, where Jeremy Kyle and his guests guide you towards making smarter retirement, investment, and tax planning decisions. Bill, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Jeremy. It's an honor to be on your program today. I'm a listener of your program as uh, an advisor, also listening to other advisors' programs. And so it's an honor to be now one of your guests. Yeah, I appreciate it, Bill. And of course, uh, I've known you for a few years, like I mentioned, through our mutual friend and a business coach that we both have as our business coach, Steve Sandusky. Uh, yes. But I got a feeling few others of our listeners know you yet. So tell us a little bit about yourself and why you became a retirement-focused financial advisor. Yeah, I remember Jeremy sitting on the couch, my father's couch in a small apartment when I was about uh, 10, 11 years old, waiting for the unemployment check to hit the mailbox. And uh, for whatever reason, as a young boy, my parents were divorced. Um, I internalized the, the anxiety or his anxiety around lack of resources. And I'm one of the lucky ones that as a very young person knew that I wanted to, to go to college and try to figure out how to handle my resources, how to handle my affairs, how to take care of my business, ultimately so I could take care of my family. And a lot of stress around that as a young person internalizing those anxieties. But fast forward, um, I went to uh, Missouri College. I graduated with a finance degree and found myself training in the South Tower of the World Trade Center, uh, 83rd floor in the early 90s, uh, just a month after a rider truck had driven into the parking garage there, you might recall, and detonated a bomb. So it was a very interesting time for a, a kid with no resources or no assets to be out in New York City training with a company called Dean Witter. And you know, now fast forward another 30 plus years, and I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Keen Wealth Advisors, headquartered here in Overland Park, Kansas, which is the greater Kansas City area. And the, a, a focus you know, of, of the firm and, and, and a belief that I have that we all share, whether or not we are going to actually, each person's going to retire technically and, and not have some type of work is one thing, but I do believe we all share the similar goal of wanting to know we could retire, that work becomes optional at some point in our lives. And so decades ago, several decades ago, I set out to make my focus understanding how to plan for the ultimate retirement, how to move from the accumulation phase of investing with the, the, as young people come into the workforce have to focus on to that point of the distribution phase where now you've built up assets such that you can retire if you wanted to. And we've just made all of our expertise and our hires and our credentials and our focus on anything and everything to plan for an inspiring retirement. And then you mentioned engineers as well. So we do have a niche 
in the engineering community in Kansas City. That happened. I, you know, a lot of this is, you know, they always say that success is the intersection of hard work and luck. You know, I, I would attribute some to luck, but I, I would attribute just the fact that um, in Kansas City, we have multiple engineering firms, Burns and McDonald, Black and Beach, Henderson. There's uh, those are headquarters. There's others that are regional offices, Kiwit and others. And I, I was coming across engineers earlier in my career, and most advisors steer clear of the engineer mindset. But what I found was I'm a pilot. I, I think you might know that, Jeremy. So I'm very checklist oriented, very process oriented, serious business up in the air. So I, I've, we've created a process here that is very much like very checklist driven, very process oriented. And that really spoke to the engineering community. Um, engineers actually are really great clients because they're, they're planners by nature. Uh, you know, as, as an advisor, Jeremy, I think you would agree that we, we like working with folks who typically are disciplined and they live within their means. And sometimes we have to help people reel that in a little and bring some reality into the situation respectfully. But engineers typically live within their means. They're typically grateful, humble people on most days. They're hard workers. They have deep networks. And they're just some of the best folks to engage with once you build the trust in them up front that you do have a process, you stick to the process, and you do what you say you do. Yeah, there's a lot in there. I imagine, have you read the book Checklist Manifesto? It's by Etul Gawande. Yeah, absolutely. I, he I was figure a you might have. By, was he a surgeon? Yes. Yeah, he was a surgeon, and he talked all about how they, they've taken the pilot checklist and moved them into the medical practices. I mean, we don't want to remove the left kidney when it's supposed to be the right kidney. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I had a feeling you've, you've read that book, and I uh, appreciate you sharing kind of um, a bit of a background, how there you were as a 10-year-old boy wondering if you were going to have enough. Uh, your dad, I'm guessing at that time, is maybe 40 or so, wondering if he is going to be okay. And that seems like that's the number one question we get, I get, I'm sure you get the same thing. With people going into retirement, they want to know, am I going to be Okay, and of course it's not just them, but also you know family as well too. So when we're approaching retirement, how do we answer the question of "Am I going to be okay?" Yeah, you know it's it's a. I always say that there's two there's two pieces to this process. One is the one is the planning, um, the tax planning, the income planning, uh, the you know insurance planning, health insurance, and others. And then there's the engine to the plan, which is the investments that are you know the investments really. You know, they're, they're simply the engine to the plan. Investments in a vacuum really are somewhat meaningless, in my opinion. But, w you know, will I be okay is a question that I think when you really boil down all of what, you know, we do in the firm here and what I think good financial advisors do. Yes, we try to minimize taxes for our, our clients. We try to maximize returns within the context of framework of their, their risk tolerances. We try to get both spouses on the same page. Uh, we try to to help them educate their kids and and uh, on what what they have eventually at some point. Um, but the question is, you know, will I be okay? One, will will myself and if there's a partner or spouse involved, are we able to really retire? Like most people I work with are salt of the earth folks who built their wealth on their own. We 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 don't typically attract lottery winners, uh, huge inheritors. Sometimes there's inheritances, of course, but you know, professional athletes, movie stars, and there's not, it's not a knock on those folks, but the folks that we really enjoy working with are folks that had to, had to save their money and have wisdom from their own journey. Um, they haven't been coming to money quickly. Um, so they say to themselves, is this even real? Is this even real that we could retire? To be independently wealthy seems like a stretch. 
even though they can look at the account balances and see, no, you have a million dollars, you have two million, you have some multiple of millions of dollars. And for what you need to live on, and everybody's different, you are okay. You are able to retire, uh, assuming you set things up appropriately and take take some some action with the plan and the in- investment models. There's also the concept of what if one of the spouses predeceases one of the others. And in those cases, the spouse wants to know if something happens to me, is my husband going to be okay? Is my wife going to be okay? So there's other factors to the are we going to be okay question. And then those come back into play. I think you would agree over time as we go through market cycles and economic issues where folks continue to come in over time and say, are we still okay? On the front page of our website, Jeremy, we say inspiring competence today and in your future. That's kind of the tagline of, the, of, of Keen Wealth. And it speaks to that, are we going to be okay? Not only are you going to be okay, but we want to inspire competence uh, in, in, in you and your future, not not unwarranted competence now if it's not if it's not right if it's not real but in most cases with proper adjustments folks should have competence in the future despite what might be going on in the economy or the markets yeah when you have that right level of confidence you often make better decisions because you're not coming out of a fear based uh, decision or maybe uh, whatever anti-fear is right you're not overconfident it's just having that right level of confidence uh, and dialing into that is what gives you a better ability to make decisions, which then makes your retirement even more confident and more likely to, to succeed. Uh, we don't have a engineering focus ourselves specifically, but it does seem like a lot of uh, kind of math type people. Uh, there's some people that work in finance that come and ask us to be their advisors. And you might think, why would somebody that works in finance actually want another person to uh, to be their financial advisor. And I think it's because they have an appreciation for uh, our focus on doing the math. I say you ought to learn the math, do the math, and follow the math. Now, I'll tell you a quick story you might appreciate, Bill, is we had a, a person uh, call us and he said, I, I just had to talk to you because one of my good friends at work, she told me that you had suggested for her to not only take the pension as a monthly amount, and I've never heard of an advisor is what he's saying. I've never heard of an advisor <laughs> say, don't take the lump sum uh, pension because obviously advisors get paid from having a right. lump sum pension. They can manage that. They can get paid on it. You, you can't get paid on a monthly annuity at the That's pension right. company. Uh, so it's kind of uh, something you thought was, was I like, why are you saying to this person to take the monthly annuity? And then he said, and you told her to wait two years not to take it immediately. He said, I just have to talk to the person that kind of did two things or suggested two things that he's never heard of before. Uh, not that he has never heard, but just no one was really uh, saying it. And that's what I share with him. I said, well, you know, I've just, I uh, did the spreadsheet of comparing the monthly annuity today versus the lump sum today and comparing the monthly annuity one and two years from now versus the lump sum one and two years from now. And of those different options, waiting the two years for that monthly annuity was the best thing that worked out uh, for her. And of course he was an engineer. He loves yes. math. He loves spreadsheets. He said, well, we got to talk and I got to see the spreadsheet of yours. Uh, so it's interesting. I, I say I, I talk spreadsheet and I think uh, you probably talk spreadsheet as well, which is why a lot of the uh, the engineering folks just appreciate that there's a big amount of math and numbers that goes behind the way you help people uh, plan for retirement. And all that's to say, what I found interesting about your book, Bill, is even though you work with numbers focused engineers, even though you're doing the math to help people retire, you spend a lot of time talking about the emotional and psychological challenges 
associated with retirement. So what, what are those big retirement questions people need to answer that go beyond the numbers? Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I would mention too about the numbers and the engineers and the spreadsheets, it's it's interesting to see when it takes about, in my my experience, about a year and a half or so of someone coming in, engaging with the firm and getting comfortable that our process is robust, that we do what we say we do, that it's we're 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 doing the work for them. And and the people that the engineers that had the spreadsheets in the first year or year and a half of our engagement, the spreadsheets start to not be showing up at the office anymore. And they start their comfort and competence starts to come into play and their ability to delegate this. Now we're they're still still partnering with us because they have their their part too. Um but it's 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 way less. It's really cool to see them move into that second half of life without having to carry their spreadsheets around anymore. Uh, so uh, a fun little dynamic there. But you know the other psychological aspects to this, and you know I talk about um, the planning is so important, getting the technical aspect correct. The investments are so important. But I think um, I have some of the smartest people, and to your to your effect, some of these engineers. They built power plants. They built water treatment systems. They've done things all over the world. Truly, some of the smartest people. But they come to us because they say, "Listen, outside of our field of expertise, we are in kindergarten. Most of us are in kindergarten outside of our fields of expertise, and we sold our brains our entire life, and now we're looking to engage your brain because we're smart enough to know what we don't know." And I love that about folks. I wrote a blog at one point that said, are you too smart to be a good investor? People who think they're too smart to be a good investor, like they've got it all figured out. And sometimes that can go against or hurt someone more than it can help them. But one of the other factors the engineers talk to me about, and, and other clients too from other industries, is look, we see the technical work that you do because we put it all out online, much like you do. All the strategies and things we share for free on our podcast and blogs and webinars, you know, exactly like you do in our book. But they say the emotional aspect to this is too much. We don't want to be baited into making an emotional decision that without a plan in place might completely derail our retirements. Um, we don't want to be selling when the news media is telling us the world is coming to an end. Uh, we understand that there's probably a time to be doing some strategic rebalancing, but we don't have a process for it. And our emotion, we're, we're aware. They have self-awareness, which is, I think, one of the most important things we all can have is how to think about our thinking, how to get self-aware of where we're at and see our shortcomings. And a good financial advisor can see around corners that our clients can't see around. We can see their blind spots that they can't see with their own blind spots. And I think it's important that we as advisors help folks see those things. We're not trying to rehash mistakes that have been made, but if you ask some simple questions in a good portion of the cases, folks will come out and say, hey, I've been trying to do this on my own. And I've made a couple of decisions that may have cost me six or seven figures. They were emotional decisions in times they've either got baited into buying something at the high or some gimmicky investment at highs, or they've bailed out toward the bottom of bear markets and they've never been able to finally get their sea legs under them since then and they're looking for a professional for help. And I think that's missed a lot of the time when folks are evaluating the value of a financial advisor, us providing that emotional stability with a system and a process pre-committed to what we're going to do regardless what the market may do tomorrow because none of us can control that. 
yeah, that uh, emotional consistency is is helpful because you've never retired before. I mean, maybe you have, and you've retired twice maximum, right? <laughs> What's the right? And yet, you've helped hundreds of people retire. And so, when someone walks in and says, "Oh my goodness, the market's down," or "What do I do about this?" It might be their first time facing that situation, but having that advisor who's helped dozens or hundreds, it's not their first time, and they're able to offer a lot of a perspective uh, on it. And of course, I love too how. You're very education focused. Uh, you mentioned your book. We're going to talk about it right now. Uh, I've got here right in front of me: "Keen on Retirement: Engineering the Second Half <laughs> of Your Life." Of course, uh, I think you might know, be smiling, Bill, because you see, I have the original first edition, and you got a second edition. Tell us about your book. Yes, sir. So here's the second edition. You might you might notice a little difference. Um, I am rocking the beard in the second yes. edition. New glasses, okay. new beard, and, and I think beard. if I if I uh, hear correctly from our friend Steve, uh, new fitness regimen. Uh, yes, I think, yes, yep. good for you. I, I, I went through a body transformation, and really not only a body transformation, but just a full transformation when I turned in, in my early fifties, about two years ago when I was fifty-two. So yeah, I, I got to a point where I, I was down, um, and I'm maintaining that, which is pretty neat. I was walking around at about eight percent body fat, which is really a really something it was a accomplishment that was difficult. It wasn't the original intention, but um, I started getting such good results with my workouts and my adjusted diet that of course uh, me probably like you were type a people. It's hard to find the, the middle ground on things. Mm-hmm. Every so often, I'm and I'm I'm balanced, swinging from the extremes. You know, yes. so my wife's like, Bill, you were just supposed to get in in good, healthy shape, and now you're trying to be a bodybuilder. But nonetheless, it was really fun to see what was possible in my early fifties, and now I'm within ten or fifteen pounds of that, which sounds like maybe a lot, but that's a probably more of a walking around weight, and it's it it just feels good to be healthy and to focus on health and wellness. So. But the beard, yeah, we got the we got the new second edition came out in uh, October, so three years ago, sorry, three three or four months ago, and um, a lot had happened since I ri- had written the original manuscript. We had gone through COVID. We had um, the CARES Act, Secure Act. We had several things were needed to be updated in the book with respect to really just tax strategies, like the stretch IRA had gone away, as you know, Jeremy. So I had put the book out in October, and then one month later, the stretch IRA goes away. And I had a whole chapter on how cool the stretch IRA was. So I was like, gosh, okay, we'll be doing a second edition. But I thought it was really important that after COVID and after we all had just been through one of this probably scariest times of our lives where... Um, for certainly anyone alive today had never been through a pandemic. Um, we went through the the quickest government-induced and only that I can recall government-induced recession in the market. So not only were, were we all fearful for our health, we were fearful for our investment portfolios and our assets. The world was shut down. It was a very scary time. And I really want folks to learn from that. So anytime we go through, in my opinion, as as a human, a difficult time and we get to the other side, there's a lot to be learned. And again, it speaks to when the next tough situation comes about, we can pull on that confidence we have from getting through the prior difficult uh, situation if we documented it and learned from it. And so the book, the update, I had um, a chapter called Navigating Unprecedented Times. We talk a lot about how to the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system and the re- the immediate response, the fight, fight or flight responses that we have as, as humans uh, and how to not let that affect our investment decisions to make 
poor emotional knee-jerk reactions and, and decisions that could uh, blow our plan off course. Um, I have another chapter in there that, that I wrote um, on not getting caught up in the next flash-in-the-pan investment you know, uh, scheme, if you will. Uh, I talk about the meme stocks and some of the some of the Doge coins and some of those things. I wrote the manuscript before Coinbase and some of these companies, what FTX kind of had its little deal. So I didn't know that was coming when I wrote this manuscript, but it was decent timing when my when my you know second edition came out. And there's a preface to the book, a, a new preface, and several other things as well. But it gave me a chance to document and keep fresh what we all had lived through together and try to help folks learn from it as opposed to just being, you know, letting it pass and not taking advantage of the wisdom that, that could have been created there. Well, you got it. And just your story that you you wrote the book, you shared, you know, at that time, 28 years or so of financial wisdom. And then one month later, a lot of the stuff you wrote just changed. Just proves the power of why you need a financial advisor who stays current on all those things and kind of be the the guide and the, the person that can bring that along to you. And you also talked about how these investments markets uh, change and they go up and down. It, it feels like a lot of people are worried about the stock markets nonstop. And they're also worried about Social Security nonstop. So that's something I want to ask you about is, uh, that's one of the biggest questions I get is whether Social Security is going to be there for us when we get get older. What are your thoughts, Bill, on Social Security, and how do you approach planning for it? Yeah, so I, you know, I I've watched some of your thoughts as well on this, Jeremy, but uh, uh, which is great that you put your thoughts out there. But um, you know, for the people that are retiring within the next twenty years or so, I tr I truly don't think that we need to change much from how we're planning. Maybe I could pull it up, say the people that are retiring within ten years. I don't think you're going to see a lot of change with what they're going to be receiving. Although, as we know, with with Medicare, um, they the government's okay at sneaking in means testing on folks. Uh, and by means testing, I'm talking about the Irma surcharges. So if you make a if you make more money in retirement, your your cost of Medicare goes higher. It's true. It's basically a means test based uh, based on income. So the idea that there could be some kind of means testing on Social Security for people that are making, let's say, over four hundred thousand. I'm I'm throwing it out there. There's no legislation been promoted, but somebody making an amount of money that that your typical person might think, well, too, that's really stinks that that person's going to lose a quarter of their Social Security, but they're already making four hundred thousand anyway we don't feel too bad for them. I mean, something like that could happen 10 years, 20 years out, it could happen. Although I think more likely they're going to just simply raise the limits of what they tax people on income-wise. I think those are the things. And they're already raising uh, the Social Security, um, you know, things like the required minimum dates. So they, we might see that the Social Security claiming dates might go out a little longer as well based on also life expectancies. So right. that's kind of and, what I'm thinking. I don't think anybody in the next 10 years needs to change their planning. That's just my thought. What, what's your thought? I'd be interested to hear your thought, your updated thought. Yeah, well, what's interesting about it is back in 2008, Paul Ryan, who's from Wisconsin, uh, was getting some heat from some people about how dare you want to change Social Security. And what he was saying then is Social Security needs a change for anyone below 55. Well, those 54-year-olds are now 69. This is 15 years uh, later, <laughs> yes. and they have changed Social Security in the past. Back in 1983, they changed Social Security for anyone 
40 and over at the time, they did not change Social Security. So no matter what that age is, it seemed like for a while, 55 was kind of the age where uh, if you got to that point, they probably wouldn't change Social Security for you. Of course, it's 15 years since uh, Paul Ryan was talking about that back in back in 08. So I, I got a feeling it maybe isn't 55 anymore. It's maybe 60 is maybe the, uh, the safe age. Uh, so just kind of knowing that my best advice for people is just get to 60 as quick as you can, because that might be the, the one way to uh, <laughs> make sure your social security uh, stays the way that you think it is uh, on there. Uh, but another concept with social security, a lot of people are asking me is a break even point. Like what is my break even point? Is it uh, worthwhile to wait? Uh, and then do I get a benefit out of that? Uh, but in your book, you have a, a different concept called crossover point. It's kind of similar as in what's this crossover point where a decision today is worthwhile in the future. So tell me, what, what do you mean by crossover point and how does somebody actually figure that out for themselves? Yeah, it's, oh, I love it. I love this part because I when I do a lot of live events and we're back to those again after uh, COVID, but I, I'll ask a question. I'll pose a question when I'm in my live events and it, typically it's engineering heavy, you know, like we work with all, all uh, sectors of the economy, but typically it's engineering heavy. And so they're wanting to come up with the answer to this question, really get it right. And I say, all right, everybody, here's the question. Um, from a financial standpoint, and listen to my words closely, from a financial standpoint only, what is the best time to retire? And then I see him go perplexed and I'll say, I'll just repeat it one more time. Every word matters from a financial standpoint only, when is the best time to retire? And invariably, I'll start getting uh, responses. Well, 59 and a half, because you can access your resources without penalty and without having to do the 72T uh, thing, and, and that makes it easier. And then I'll hear, I'll say, okay, that's a good answer. And some will say, well, 62, because you can take Social Security. And I'll hear 65, because of Medicare. And also, I'll hear these reasonable answers. And I'll say, you know what, I'm still all good answers, but I'm still not hearing the one I want. And finally, I'll hear somebody in the back say, do you know where I'm going with this, Jeremy? I, I got a strong feeling. They'll say, never, yep. never is the answer. For, so then the key to that question was from the from a financial standpoint only, when is the best time to retire? And the answer is never. Here's why. You can always work another year. If all we care about is the money and the dollars and the amounts, we can always work another year. And typically when you're out at retirement, you're in your maximum earning years and you're in your maximum saving years. Maybe you got kids out of the out of house, out of the college, you got no 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 payment on the house, you're saving, you're making the most money you've ever made in your life. It can be very tempting to say, you know, one more year. Let's just do one more year. That's one more year again of not only earning money, but you're not spending any of your assets you're earning and you're saving. So when if you're locked on to just the financial answer, you're always going to work another year. And at some point, people get to a crossover point. Don't know why I call it that, but I just call it that because it's a point where they say objectively and honestly, we are independently wealthy now. And I know that sounds crazy, but that doesn't mean like the, you know, like like being worth a billion dollars. It just means you have enough money to to be able to retire and live the life you want to live for the remainder of your life. They say another year of work, another year of savings does not worth another year of my life. 
of what I get to do in the second half. And I say, I say the second half is the best half because we have wisdom from the journey, resources, we have intention. Hopefully we're retiring to something that is inspiring to us. And they and they get to that point and they say, you know what, it's over. And I've seen this, you said dozens or hundreds. I've literally seen it thousands of times in the folks that I've been able to counsel and advise over the myself and my team now over the last 30 years. People it's obvious when they should retire. Now, if they can't financially, we're going to advise them that that doesn't make sense. But once they can financially, there's a point where it's like, we are done. We are done. But sometimes it takes a little bit of prodding. You would agree, I'm sure, with your your work you do with, with folks. It's Jeremy Kyle here, and I know you're listening to the Retirement Reveal Podcast because you want to learn more about making great retirement decisions. I've created a free video course for you to do just that. Head over to 5stepretirementplan.com and sign up to receive this video training right in your email inbox. We broke down our 5-step retirement plan into bite-sized videos so you can get started on the retirement, investment, and tax planning you need to create a consistent retirement income. Go to 5stepretirementplan.com. Use the number or spell it out. You'll get there either way. 5stepretirementplan.com. Thanks for listening. And now for the rest of the show. Well, definitely. It's, it's interesting seeing some of the people that are most scared to retire are the ones that have the most ability to retire. So it's, that's interesting with that idea of the crossover point is, is this extra dollar amount worth that extra year of your life doing whatever it is that you're doing from a W-2 working, you know, kind of salary uh, standpoint. And uh, you mentioned, we, we mentioned the book here, Keaton Retirements, and we love education. You obviously are in that same vein, and we also love giving away books. So I'm going to uh, tell everyone listening, the first three people that email me, podcast at kylefp.com, we will give you, uh, send out to one of uh, Bill's books here. I'll send out the new book. That'd probably be the best way to go. Well, that sounds great. I hope everybody that uh, is able to get a copy enjoys it and learns something from it. It makes a difference in their life, their planning, and their intentional futures. <laughs> yeah, that's the goal. And of course, we'll have links to how you can get Bill's book on our show notes, which is uh, retirement-reveal.com. You can you can find that. Bill, you've been a financial advisor, you, you say, for 30 plus years. And thanks to your uh, your health transformation, it doesn't look like it. So that's that's good, good ah. for you. But uh, <laughs> tell, tell me, what's uh, changed the most over your 30-year career? You know, I would say if I think about what's changed early early in the career and probably the way that de- advice is delivered to clients, um, 30 years ago, financial planning in and of itself was not as um, in the forefront. This fiduciary uh, process that, that we operate, that you operate, where clients' interests come first. Your example that you gave at the, at the outset of the show where you helped a client decide to take the monthly uh, pension instead of you getting the lump sum is a perfect example of putting clients' interests first. And it's funny, the person that was asking you about that couldn't believe that you did that. It's like in your world every single day, no, that's you wouldn't do it any other way. Yes, you wouldn't have right. it any other way. And then same for same for our advisors here at Keen Wealth. So this this focus on financial planning for the segment of people that that are out there that need help, that understand planning is in their best interest, not just having uh, some salesperson throwing an insurance policy or a mutual fund or some product at uh, or a stock trade trying to trade stocks speculating in the market it to me that's a completely different business than what we do as fiduciary financial advisors and planners and i think today thank goodness there's more of what you and i do our firms do than there was like drastically more than there was 
30 years ago back in the big bank brokerage firms, which was more of a transactional relationship than today, or a transactional business. And today it's a relationship business, a lifetime relationship. And I think that's probably been the most inspiring thing that's happened. And that that happened, you know, I was started operating this way probably 20 years ago, more in the planning base, maybe even early 25 years ago, we were running financial plans with some of the NUA and different tax treatments and things over time, a long time ago. So it was an early adopter of financial planning, but I'm just so grateful, like the industry itself, especially our industry, the fiduciary RIA industry is focused on you know, clients' best interests first and having technical experts running these financial plans and not having it just be a, you know, focused all on the whatever the hot investment product is. Yeah. Well, that's great to hear that things are moving in the right direction uh, for sure and that you've seen it. Uh, this year, 2023 is my 20th year as a financial nice. advisor. And I'm, I'm just trying, I wanted to ask you that question. So it got me thinking about it as well. And I'm not sure if it's really a change in the world of a financial advisor uh, or maybe it's just a change in my understanding. And I'll, I'll say going into before, like the week before I started becoming a financial advisor, I just thought my job would be convincing people to get money out of the bank accounts and into the stock market, or that there'd be a solution that involved rates of returns and debating stocks versus index funds versus active mutual fund management, things like that. That's kind of what I thought it would be. Uh, in reality, it's almost 100% not about the stock market. Uh, I, I've got a saying, it's control what you can control. And the stock market is something you cannot control. So many people just don't understand that. The stock market is something you cannot control. And meanwhile, you can control when you retire, how much you spend, how do you take control of your tax situation? When do you file for social security? How do you take your pension? There's so many things that are in your control. Uh, and yet, I guess half of it is helping people understand what's in their control. And the other half is maybe helping them make those great decisions that oftentimes are just one time. Like you file for your pension, you're not changing that. You cannot change that. Uh, at right. all. And Social Security is close to that uh, in a way too. That's right. That's right. I I love that. In the second edition to the book, in the in the preface to the book, I I talk about controlling what you control. And I I I you know I I typically don't talk politics or religion in my work because I just you know I don't you don't it's just I don't. But here I had to I had to insert the serenity prayer. And mm -hmm. I didn't think it would be offensive to anybody. But in the second edition, in the preface, I said, control what you control. And it reminds me of the serenity prayer, right? Yeah. You know, knowing the things that we can change and changing those, but knowing the the difference between the yes. two. You know, I think it's an important thing to bring solace to us. And even with the market, Jeremy, even with the market, no, we can't control the market, but we can control our response to the market. We, yes. can, we can harness the inevitable cycles instead of being whipsawed by them, uh, if we have a plan and a process with pre-committed guardrails. And so, I, and, and it, boy, it just, it just builds, there's, there's, there's things to do in down markets that create proactivity. And folks realize, wait a second, I'm, I likely may be better off because the correction happened than had it not ever happened, because we were able to do some positioning and some rebalancing and some tax moves that we wouldn't have been able to had the correction not, not happened. So it's it's a way of looking at things too, and not only just looking at them, but actually having a process for harnessing even opportunities in, in the down markets. Yeah, and of course you mentioned you're a pilot, but when you said the word harness there twice, it started getting me thinking of harnessing the wind, more maybe a sailing type of situation where you cannot control the wind, but you can harness the wind to take you where you want to, to go. And I guess knowing where you wanna go is a big part of it too. That's right, Yeah, that's right. But 
Awesome. Well, Bill, I've got one more question for you before we get to that. What's the best way for people to reach out to you? Yes. So the keenwealthadvisors.com. Uh, we've got a, a really a great website with the podcast called Keen on Retirement, kind of a play on words, 180 episodes out there, been out for almost eight years now, a blog also that goes out every other week. Um, there's some great you know, insight on the website. Then I'm also on uh, LinkedIn and Facebook as Keen Wealth Advisors. And then also as Bill Keen personally. So I always connect with anybody who likes to connect with me personally. I, I do it. Uh, it's a fun medium. And I have folks here that help me run those platforms. And so it, I have a good time with being connected with folks on any of those mediums. Excellent. And we'll put uh, links to all that in the show notes. And of course, if you'd like to learn more about what we do here with the Kyle Financial Partners, just please check me out at retirement-revealed.com. All right, Bill, we got one final question. Tell us something about yourself that few people know about. And remember, this podcast is rated clean. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, you already mentioned the bodybuilding regimen that I tried to go on. So does that count? Does that count as one or not? <laughs> Let's go for it. Well, tell, tell us a bit. How do you uh, go about that? What's, uh, what's yeah. your, your exercise look like right now? Yeah. So here, okay. So here, here's what it is. It's every single morning. Um, I have a morning routine that I think is very powerful. So a lot of people probably wouldn't know this. This this would qualify as well to as an answer. Um, every single morning before I let 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 the world get into my mind, because I do believe I used to think time was our most priceless commodity, and now I've determined that it's our attention. Our attention is our most priceless commodity. So before I let the world crowd in, I pick my spiritual reading up and I put something in my mind that's positive. And I go to my gratitude list. So I document five things that I'm grateful for every single morning. And it doesn't have to be it's elaborate things. It can just be the air that I breathe, the sunshine, the kids, our health. Uh, it can be any number of things, at least five. Sometimes it goes on and there's 20 because it's 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 addictive to, to be focused on gratitude. And then I move. I move every morning. I move physically. So I get I in, in, engender natural endorphins. And that whole process could just take uh, 30 minutes max. And I think that's extremely powerful thing to do every day to set the stage for the day. It's not Pollyanna. It's strategy around being in the right mindset. As humans, we're, we're wired to just be in survival mode. And in survival mode means we're always going to be looking for the next problem that we have to worry about or the next thing we're resenting, which is basically rescinding anger. So we're naturally wired to be resentful. We are not naturally wired to be grateful. So putting something in place that is a hack, if you will, to maintain that mindset for me has been hugely key over the last 20 plus years of leading this firm and staying on my game and staying in the moment and trying to operate at a level that is actually fun and inspiring and not overwhelming and tiring. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks, Bill, for sharing with us how to, how to engineer the second half of your life which even with the word engineer, you would think it'd be numbers related. And just that story right there shows how uh, it, it goes beyond that. It goes into your mindsets and your psychology and your emotions of retirement. So thanks for coming on the show, Bill, and, and sharing that all with us. Jeremy, thank you so much. And I want to just give you a quick, uh, I want to honor you for the work you're doing. I know your firm and I know your character and the work that you're doing for your clients. It's just furthering our industry and 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 taking good care of folks. So thank you. You're an inspiration to me with what you're doing up in your neck of the woods there. Awesome. I'll take it. Well, thank you, Bill. And thank you for listening to the Retirement Reveal podcast. We believe if you know more about your money, you'll feel better about your money and you will make better money decisions. This was another great episode of the Retirement Revealed podcast. 
click on the subscribe button below to automatically get our latest episodes. If you liked our show and want even more, please give us a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We would love to hear from you. Please go to retirement-revealed.com to learn more and send us your questions and feedback. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Kyle Financial Partners, Thrivent, or its affiliates. The guests are not affiliated with or endorsed by Thrivent Advisor Network. Kyle Financial Partners does not provide legal accounting or tax advice. Consult your attorney or tax professional. Representatives have general knowledge of the Social Security tenants. For details on your situation, contact the Social Security Administration. Kyle Financial Partners is part of the Thrivent Advisor Network, a registered investment advisor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investment advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have with your investment planning.